You're listening to the Love Radio Network Worldwide. LoveRadioNetwork.com. Educational, inspirational, trending topics, and the hottest hits. With award-winning talk show host and personality. And you made us number one. Thank you. Love Radio Network. Building a network of love. Ambassador Everett Robinson presents Final Authority, Mondays at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, teaching a sound biblical perspective that is solely based upon the authority scripture alone. Final Authority with Ambassador Everett Robinson, Mondays at 9 o'clock p.m. on LoveRadioNetwork.com. beloved brothers and sisters in Christ and guests, I welcome you to The Final Authority. Well, The Final Authority, we air live every Monday, <coughs> pardon me, every Monday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, and 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Well, again, we welcome you to the Final Authority. This is your host, Ambassador Everett. It's my delight to serve you the very word of the living God. Once you know what I've taught, we have absolutely no new revelation, no higher revelation. We only give the final authority, the Holy Scriptures, that was delivered to us by the biblical apostles under the lordship of the biblical Messiah. So today, we will be dealing with the subject entitled, The Gospel of the Grace of God. The Gospel of the Grace of God. And this is one of the messages that is a very misunderstood. Uh, once you have a clear understanding of the gospel of the grace of God, it will open your eyes and you will truly indeed glorify and honor God's beloved son, Jesus the Christ, for that which he has literally fulfilled and accomplished for you. And we're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with the historicity of the actual crucifixion, the actual death, the shed blood of Christ, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, and his glorification. And so, again, we're going to be dealing with the subject matter, the gospel of the grace of God. Well, before we go on, we want to share with you that uh, you're welcome. We ask you to invite others. We welcome all people from every walk of life, from every ethnicity, uh, no matter where you live, where you're from, no matter your nationality, no matter your religious uh, beliefs, we ask you to tune in to the final authority here, the word of the living God. Okay? All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to go right into prayer. And from there, we go over our foundational text of scripture out of Acts of the Apostles and the book of Ephesians, chapter 2 and chapter 3. 
All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. We come before you, for, before you, Father, only on the perfect merits of your beloved Son, Jesus the Christ. We come in his name under the banner of his shed blood. We come, Father, humbling ourselves before you, and we come confessing to the Lordship of your beloved Son, with whom you are well pleased. We believe on him with all our heart, for he is our Lord, Savior, and Redeemer, for he has redeemed us to you by his blood. We thank you that you have accepted us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that his righteousness has been imputed to us. You declared us righteous. You sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And you raised us up together and you made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. And this is all a provision of your sovereign grace that's bestowed upon us by virtue of the fact that we're joined to your beloved son, Jesus the Christ. And we thank you, Father, we ask that even as we open the word, that you would grant unto us all the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your beloved son, Jesus the Christ. And in the knowledge of the Holy Scriptures, may our eyes be open and we can behold the revelation truth of your wonderful and amazing grace. And Father, we ask, O oh God, your word would abound and increase and multiply, Father, in us and through us. We yield to you, Holy Spirit, <coughs> that we may be truly indeed empowered to glorify Christ and to deliver the word of God to the glorification of Christ. And we welcome you. Your ministry gives power, wisdom, and guidance. We are in every need of you, Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you. Your will be done. In the name of thy beloved Son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. So be it. And amen. All right, my beloved brothers and sisters. Here we go. We're going to dive into the word of God. It is very important, I believe, that you have a clear-cut revelation or understanding of the gospel of the grace of God. Unfortunately, many people do not really understand this gospel of the grace of God. And many people even twist the message of the gospel of the grace of God because of lack of understanding. Uh, some may do it willfully. But we're going to look at what God's word says about the gospel of the grace of God. Now, one of the things I want to point out to you is that uh, when we look at the writings of the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He talked about more of the grace of God than uh, any of the other apostles. He received such a revelation that it was just so amazing. In fact, um, he makes a statement as recorded in the book of Galatians. In fact, before I read my foundational text, I want to read something to you out of uh, what Paul says himself as recorded in the book that he wrote to the believers in Galatia. So it says these words. This is recorded in Galatians chapter 1. He says these words in verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that word revelation, it, it means the, the unveiling. All right, to remove a veil so that you can see something that he did not see before because his eyes were veiled until he had this revelation of the gospel. And he said, the gospel which was preached of me. Now, the gospel that he's referring to, when we go back to verse 6, as he's writing to the Gentile believers in Galatia, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. 
And so Paul proclaimed the message of the grace of God, here called the grace of Christ. And grace is actually defined as unmerited favor, as opposed to merited favor. Merited, which means you perform some works, you uh, perform some deed, you fulfill some form of a performance and uh, obligation, and now you get rewarded as a result of your works, your performance, the duty that you have fulfilled. But here, this is talking about God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of lights with whom is no variableness. He has bestowed something upon us that we did not earn or deserve. And we see according to the, even the book of Romans the 5, it says that they which receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So we're talking about this abundance of grace that's bestowed upon us. And so what basis has the Father bestowed upon us this grace? Something we didn't earn, we didn't deserve it, because it was not based upon our ability to perform anything to receive this thing. And so let me uh, go on and read what he says here. He says, I certify you, brothers, that the gospel which you preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before he was taught this gospel, he was very deeply steeped into what is called the Jews' religion. And he says in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 1, For you have heard of my conversation, the word conversation means manner of life, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now, when you look at the book of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, you see that there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was became one of the most uh, zealous persecutors against the Messianic Jews. In other words, the Jews that believed that Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, because he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He had believed that he was an imposter. He was not the Son of God, and he's not the one who uh, is to be the Savior of the world to bring redemption to even Israel. And so he rejected that and he was persecuting those that called upon the name of the Lord Jesus the Christ. And so he was so deeply in, in, in involved in the Jews' religion, and he was persecuting them unto strange cities. I mean, this man was bent on destroying those that, that called upon the name of the Lord Jesus the Christ. And so we're going to look at something. And until he had a revelation about Christ, so he says he persecuted the church and he wasted it. Then he says in verse 14, I profited in the Jews' religion, Judaism, above many my equals in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers so that's where he was but he said but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace what to reveal his son in me so now he has a revelation of Christ now so he has this revelation, his eyes is open. That listen, to reveal his son, that God has a son. He said to reveal a son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. And so he says that God separated me from my mother's womb. God called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. 
that I might preach him. Prior to him having this revelation from God the Father about his beloved son, Jesus the Christ, Paul was bent on doing everything contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That was his own testimony before, before King Agrippa, uh, as recorded in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 22. Um, where he thought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But once he received the revelation of the grace of God, it transformed him. They, notice this, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Now, I'm going to read something to you out of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20. And by this time, he had been laboring and preaching the gospel of the grace of God, uh, not only to the Jews in the Jewish synagogues, but then he went out among the nations. He went among those that were considered heathens. And um, he went among them proclaiming the gospel of the grace of God. Now watch this. He says something over here in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20. Here, he got all the elders of Ephesus together and he's giving them some uh, instructions. So all these elders... Uh, that he called out of Miletus. He called them to come together and he's sharing with them uh, words of exhortation to them, giving them some sound instructions and counsel. And so he talked about that bonds and afflictions await me in every city. Because wherever he went proclaiming that gospel of the grace of God, he always had opposition. See, because the Jews known as the Israelites were so steeped in uh, the Mosaic system, economy, and the Mosaic law that they did not embrace the gospel of the grace of God, that salvation is offered to Gentiles by God's grace through faith in Christ. And so now he's preaching a message now of the grace of God that he was opposed to and now that he came into the light of the glory of the excellency of jesus the christ his eyes is open to the amazing grace of god he now realized he was called now to go among the gentiles the nations the heathens and proclaim this wonderful amazing grace of god the Jews was built on no, the Gentiles have to be circumcised after the manner of Moses and they must keep the law to be saved. And so that was the position of the Jews. But Paul's eyes was open to what Jesus the Christ literally fulfilled and accomplished on the cross. And we're going to go over that. And so everywhere he went, he had Jews, some of them even follow him around, persecuting him. They would even beat him, stone him, put him in prison. But he was so committed and dedicated to the revelation that he received from God about his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. He would not relent and give up. He would not back down. See, once you have a true revelation from God, there's nothing that can shake that. Nothing. No persecution, no jail time, no beat. Nothing can shake that. Now, so he says, about bonds and afflictions. Everywhere he went, they've chained him down, they've beaten him. But he said in verse 24 of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, he says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy 
and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So he was calling to the ministry, what? To go proclaim what? The gospel of the grace of God. And we're going to talk about that. Now, what I want to do is show you something here. And um, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to deal with this amazing grace of God. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul here mainly, he is addressing uh, Gentiles who are now in Christ. Now, I'm going to show you something. So um, in chapter, well, I'll start in chapter 1. He says, and you had he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you, when he says you, who is the you there? He referring to those to whom he had proclaimed the message of the grace of God to, that there is a salvation that God offers by his grace and is only received by faith in Christ. That you rest your faith that you have received through the hearing of the gospel and the gospel has to do with the good news or what Christ fulfilled and accomplished for you on your behalf that he literally was crucified in your place for you so that all of your sins and my sins thus our sins can be placed upon him and that he then was judged for our sins and now our sins was condemned upon Christ on the cross and by virtue of his death and shedding of his blood he satisfied the wrath and judgment of God for us. This is all God's provision of grace. See, because we're the ones that were the guilty ones. We're the ones that were the offenders. We were to come under the wrath and judgment of God. But Christ went in our place, in our stead. This is why he came down from heaven to take upon a human body. This is why he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin to take upon human flesh so that he can come and taste death for every man. And so we see very clearly the good news of the fact that he went and satisfied the judgment of God for us in our place. And now here's the point I want to make here is that prior to us hearing the good news, what Christ fulfilled and accomplished for us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead, alienated from God. All right. And so he says, and you had be made alive who were dead in trespassing sins. So we were, as it were, dead men walking the earth. But he made us alive. That word in the King James says, and you have he quickened. The word quicken means to give life to or to make alive. All right? So it goes on now. Watch this. Let me go back to chapter 1 real quickly. And so in chapter 1 of Ephesians, I'm going to read only two verses, verse 12 and 13 uh, and 14. So Paul says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So you had a remnant of Israelites who came to faith and trust in Christ. And Paul here in this particular context is referring to uh, the Israelites who first heard the gospel and believe as a remnant according to the election of grace who have heard the true gospel and had the revelation of Jesus Christ and came to faith and trust in Christ. So it says in whom, watch this, well, let me go back to verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. 
who first trusted in Christ. Well, who were the ones that first trusted in Christ? It was a remnant of Israelites because the message was to them first. So he says, who first trusted in Christ. Then in verse 13, he says, in whom you also, now referring to the Gentiles, those who are non-Israelites. All right, so it says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, he said, now you also trusted the same Christ that we trusted in, the same Christ whom we believed on. You also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation. In whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, let me try to make this very clear in these two verses here. When Paul says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, well, he's addressing Gentiles. These Gentiles, Paul mentioned in chapter 2, and we'll get there. He says, you are without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the state and the condition of the Gentile world. But there was a change that took place. And Paul specifically was raised up to be an apostle. He was the preacher and the teacher of the Gentiles. He was sent by the resurrected, ascended, exalted, glorified Lord Jesus the Christ to go among the Gentiles to proclaim the message of the gospel. And so he was taught by the revelation of Jesus Christ, that gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. So he goes there, he proclaims the gospel. They heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. He says, in whom also after that you believed. We're dealing with a real, genuine, authentic faith that you have received through the hearing of the gospel. And so he's the one that went among them. Paul went among them to proclaim that good news of their salvation. He says, after that you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. See, God put the seal of the Spirit upon you. You now rightfully and eternally belong to God because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The word earnest is a pledge of a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. See, you are the purchased possession. I am the purchased possession. Jesus Christ paid a price on the cross. That is, he redeemed us. He paid for us. We now belong to him. So it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. You see, now, not only are we redeemed, but there is a coming redemption of the physical body. Our physical, now the price has been paid for the redemption of the physical body, but the physical body is not yet experientially redeemed. The price has been paid. So we still have a mortal body. And this body is still subject to death, deterioration, corruption. However, there's a price that Christ paid that will bring about a redemption of the physical body. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, this mortal must put on immortality. 
And this corruption will put on incorruption. And so there's a coming day of the redemption of the physical body. But now the redemption of our souls has already been fulfilled. The redemption of the physical body, uh, the price has been paid. But there's coming a day when Christ comes back. Well, we're going to be caught up to meet him. And this body will no longer be mortal. It will be immortal. All right. But now let me get back to the point I want to make. Once you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and also after that you believe, you were sealed. So now you are alive. So when you heard the true gospel, you came to faith and trust in Christ. You are now made alive unto God. You and I are no longer dead men and women walking in our trespasses and sins. Now I want to show you something. This is so amazing, the grace of God. So it says right here in Ephesians chapter 2 now. He says, and you have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, let me stop here. Paul says, in time past, prior to you hearing the gospel, prior to you coming to a true genuine faith, Trusting in Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Prior to that, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In that state where you by, whereby you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you walked according to the course of this world. Your whole life was a life of sin. Your whole life were dead in trespasses and sins and just walking according to the course of this world. You were conformed to the world system. Why? Because you was living out of a fallen nature. He says, now, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That word prince archon, it comes from a word which has to do with a principality. All right? One that rules over, all right? The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So when we deal with the word worketh, it comes from the word, where we get our word energy from. It's the spirit that energizes them in their sins and their trespasses. And the children of disobedience are what we call the sons or the children of Adam, as in Adam all die. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And so these are the children of disobedience. We were there one time, but we came out of that by virtue of our faith in Christ. And now that we're joined to Christ, we now are alive unto God. He goes on and says in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, among whom also we all had our manner of life in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh that fall in nature and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, when we were dead in our trespasses, this was the course that we were on, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that was working in us. And we were, in time past, we were just fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the lust of the fallen nature, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by very nature the children of wrath, rightfully we were to come under what? Wrath and the judgment of God. 
But verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Now, listen what this man, Paul, said. He didn't always hold this position until his eyes was open and he had a revelation of the grace of God through Christ. He says, even when we were dead in sins, God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. By grace. This is not this salvation whereby we are delivered from the guilt of sin, salvation, the power of sin, salvation, the penalty of sin, salvation, not only forgiveness of sins, salvation, but we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We're reconciled to God. We've been declared righteous, washed from our sins in the blood of Christ, robed in his righteousness. All this encompasses the salvation that we receive by faith in Christ. So listen to this. But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. So you've heard the message of Christ. You come to faith and trust in Christ and that which he done via his crucifixion, his death, his shed blood, his burial, his resurrection. And then he's ascended up to heaven, highly exalted. And now you have been identified with Christ by virtue of your faith in him. Because what Christ did and fulfilled on the cross was for you on your behalf, in your place, and you get the credit for what he did. You, you're the beneficiary. You get the blessing of it. You get his credit to you. His righteousness is credit to you, I should say. So again, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. See, you're alive unto God by virtue of your now uh, being joined to Christ. You're identified with Christ because you're now joined to him. You're not made alive unto God because of your pedigree, not because of your bloodline, your haplogroup, not because of what tribe you belong to or you claim to identify as, not because you identify as a certain group of people, not because of any work you have performed. This is solely because, listen, listen to it again. I'm going to read this again, verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. It's by grace, which means unmerited. It's not contingent upon any work or performance of mine. This is all based upon the perfect, flawless performance of Christ and what he went through for us on the cross via his crucifixion, death, shed blood, burial, and resurrection. Now we have the offer of God's grace because Christ fulfill and accomplish what we could not fulfill and accomplish. We never could measure up to God's perfect standard. Jesus, under every circumstance, through every temptation, test, trial, hardship, persecution, crucifixion, everything, he always at all times done those things that pleased his father. And so he was without sin. And so then he offers of himself on our behalf as a sacrifice to God in our place to pay our debt for us. And the Father God was so well pleased with the sacrificial substitutionary redemptive death and the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He substantiated 
that he accepted it for us on our behalf in that he raised his son Jesus from among the dead the third day for our justification. It's a done deal, brothers and sisters. This is all the grace of God. God's favor and blessing upon you is not contingent upon the pigmentation or the color of your skin, upon your ethnicity or nationality, upon your going through the ritual rite of circumcision, because you observe dietary laws of Israel? Nope. Because you're in a certain genealogy and blood type? Nope. It's only because of the fact that you are identified. Listen to this. See, when you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, you have to remember that this man was an apostle of Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he was sent. And not only was he sent by the Father and the Son, we see according to the book of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, that he was sent by the Holy Spirit. So you have the whole of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together in bringing Paul into ministry and sending him forth among the Gentiles to go proclaim Christ. He didn't proclaim himself. He didn't go around proclaiming his tribe no more. He wasn't zealous of the tradition of his father. He was zealous of the gospel message of the grace of God. You can't earn this. You don't earn this. You can't possibly earn this. This is a gift offered by God's grace through faith in Christ. Why Christ? Because he's the one that fulfilled everything perfectly for you on your behalf and paid your sin debt in full. Again, the glory of Christ, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive, quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. All because you are now in Christ. This is the grace of God. Now watch what it says. So now that you've been identified with Christ, you're alive together with Christ. And God bestowed this grace upon you. It says in verse 6, he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly place in Christ. God raised me up together and made me sit together in heavenly place in Christ. Yes, this is all contingent upon what Christ fulfilled and accomplished. And now that I come to faith and trust in Christ, I get this grace bestowed upon me that I couldn't earn that ever in any lifetime. Now, I'm going to show you something. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Watch what he says here. He says, in whom, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There it is again. So this grace is bestowed upon you solely contingent upon the redemptive death of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood for us. He shed his blood to redeem us. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Look at verse uh, uh, 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. You, anyone, he made us. It doesn't make any difference whether you Jew or Gentile, whether you are bond or free, male or female, you come to faith in the biblical Messiah, trusting in Christ, you are accepted in Christ. God is not accepting you outside of his beloved son, Jesus the Christ. 
You have to come to a true genuine heart faith and rest on Christ alone. People, see, here's the thing. God has eradicated, totally eradicated and obliterated your ability to come into his court of law and boast about anything because of your pedigree, your circumcision, your bloodline, your genealogy, your haplogroup, or what, what tribe you claim to be in, or your works, or your rituals, or your ceremony. You can't come in God's court of law and talk about how many times you fasted, how much money you've given. No. This is so, watch this. We have redemption through his blood. Nothing, nothing else. It's through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Why? Because it was God's grace that provided this redemptive for us, redemption for us through Christ. So it says back in verse 6 again, Ephesians chapter 2 has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Watch this. That in the ages to come, watch this, he might show demonstrate or give a display of the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Did you not know by virtue of the fact that you have heard the true gospel message of God's beloved son, Jesus the Christ, and you come to this faith? Let's watch this. See, because God wanted to, to give you and show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness in the ages to come, but he can only do that by virtue of the fact that you will be identified with his son, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. So this is a, a provision of God's grace that God's offering all only through faith in Christ. So there's nothing that you can boast about. He did that in Christ. It's only through Christ that in the ages to come, see, so he made you alive. He made your life together with Christ, raised you up together, made you sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So that's why God sees you. God the Father sees you seated in the heavenlies in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That's how God sees you. See, you have to understand that when Jesus Christ came and when he was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, took upon human flesh and walked the earth as a man in perfect obedience to the Father, and ultimately was turned over to the Romans, turned over to the chief priests and elders. They condemned him to death by crucifixion, turned him back over to the Romans. They mocked him. They beat him. They spit upon him. They nailed him to a cross, lifted him up on that rugged cross. And on that cross, every sin that you have ever committed in your ever life was placed on him. And now he's stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He's now judged for our sins. And now our sins is condemned upon him on our behalf. And through his death and the shedding of his blood, he has inaugurated the New Testament. And now he has obtained eternal redemption for us because he was buried, rose again from among the dead for our justification. And he ascended up into the heavens and sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat in the heavens. And now God has this grace and mercy that he bestows upon you because of the redemptive work of his son, Jesus Christ. Again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wow. So now that we're identified with Christ, so that what? In the ages to come. So apart from your being identified with the crucifixion, the death, the birth, and the resurrection of Christ, prior to you coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that, that without that, there, there is no uh, experiencing 
uh, in the ages to come, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward Christ. That's only for those who've been identified with Christ. Then he goes on and says in verse 8, For by grace are you saved. He says that earlier, now he reiterates it, but watch what he says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let's stop right there. For by grace. He didn't say by grace plus something else. He said by grace. This is all the work of God. This is all the provision of God. God has totally eradicated any possibility that you can boast about and you can't pride yourself on anything. And the very person who wrote this uh, letter here is the Apostle Paul, who at one point in time, prior to his revelation of the grace of God, prior to him having the revelation of the gospel message of Christ, prior to him having a revelation of what Christ fulfilled and accomplished via his death, shed blood, burial, and resurrection, this man prided himself on his pedigree, bloodline, genealogy, and that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was a Pharisee, all right, and that he had the rights of the law. But once his eyes was opened to the excellency of the majesty of Christ Jesus, he had this revelation of the amazing grace of God. He could no longer boast about that because all boasting was totally, completely eradicated, obliterated. It's inadmissible in God's court of law because there's nothing you could do to earn this salvation. It's all offered by God's grace, solely contingent upon what Christ done through his redemptive death, shed blood, burial, and resurrection. That's it, period. So listen to what it says again, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. So that which Christ done becomes appropriated by faith. By faith. Well, where do you get this faith from? Through the hearing of the gospel. So when you hear the true gospel, then faith enters your heart and in your mouth. For an example, <coughs> Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 10, he talks, about, he talks about the righteousness which is of the law and the righteousness which is of faith. He goes on and says, but what, what, what does the righteousness of faith say? He said, listen, the word is near you. This message of the righteousness of faith. This, there is a righteousness that's only received by faith that you can't attain to by any of the works as prescribed by the Torah, the namas, the law. He says, listen, it's by faith. It's only received by faith. He makes it very clear. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. So it's appropriated by faith. It's not appropriated by your works and your ability and rituals and ceremonies. It's only appropriated by faith. Faith in what Christ done, his redemptive work on the cross. So he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. So I receive it through faith and that not of yourselves. So this offer of God's salvation is given to us not based upon anything of ourselves, but it's all by God's grace. And the grace is offered because of what Jesus Christ has satisfied for us on our behalf. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is what, see, people always want to 
pride themselves on what they do, you know, and what they've done and what they accomplished and all their rewards and accolades. But when it comes to God's grace, it's all received by faith. Because it's only contingent upon what Christ has fulfilled and accomplished. The divine justice and the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross of Calvary. You, you can only be accepted by God solely based on what Christ done for you on the cross, and you must come to terms by coming to him in faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So this is the gift of God. It's a gift. People still trying to work for it, trying to earn it. You can't do that. It's not going to work that way. Israel tried that. God set the terms. He established what he accepts and what he doesn't accept. And he accepts faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Because the moment you hear the true gospel, you hear the good news about what Christ done for you on that rugged cross via his death, shed blood, burial, and resurrection, it is only then that you are washed by Christ from all your sins in his own blood. It is then that you're robed in his righteousness. It is then that the Father God declares you in a perfect right standing with himself. It is then that you're reconciled to God. Wow. Declared righteous forever. Sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. So now that I've been declared righteous. Now that I'm washed from my sins, now that I'm redeemed by the blood of Christ, understanding that the powers of darkness have absolutely no legal claim and right to me no more because I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. God didn't save me temporarily. He saved me forever. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Did you hear that? Not of works. So it's not contingent upon your works. Your works can't save you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen, brothers, this is the gift of God. Do you accept that? Do you believe that? This apostle Paul that wrote this was sent by who? The resurrected, ascended, exalted Lord Jesus to Christ to deliver this message. This is why Paul, according to 2 Timothy 1 verse 11, he's called, he said, I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Christ appointed him. And he was the one that was sent by the resurrected, ascended Lord. Are you going to reject the very one whom he has sent to the Gentiles? Listen again. He's called the, he's called the preacher, the apostle, and teacher of the Gentiles. He says, listen, if you have heard of the grace of God, which was given to me to you Gentiles, for I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. So this is the office that he was given by Christ to go deliver this message and teachings to the Gentiles. So once he proclaimed Christ to them, they came to faith in Christ and then he taught them and instructed them in the grace of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So anytime you boast about anything other than the redemptive work of Christ, God rejects your pride. 
Because you got to boast about what Christ done. Like Paul says in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 14, he said, God forbid that I glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you read that over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, when he makes that statement, he had just dealt with those uh, Judaizers, those Jews that was trying to impose the Mosaic law upon the neck of the Gentile disciples and tell them they got to observe the Mosaic law. They have to be circumcised after the man of Moses. And they was priding themselves that they would get even converts. And Paul broke down, no, not by works of the law shall no man be justified. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Then he says in Galatians 2.21, he said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I don't set aside. I don't count null and void the grace of God. If it wasn't for his grace, we all would be doomed and damned forever with no hope of salvation or redemption. But it's all by his grace. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, the namas, Greek, the Torah, Hebrew, then Christ is dead in vain. So for you to try to rest your salvation upon anything other than Christ alone, you have just nullified, set aside the grace of God. You just said what Christ done was insufficient and inadequate and you said that he died for no purpose because you can attain this by your own work. In fact, Paul made it very clear that Israel, he dealt with the nation, Israel, they have the law of righteousness, have not even attained to the law of righteousness. Why? He said because they started not by faith but as it were by the works of the law and they stumbled over what? Christ. He said... He says these words in the book of Romans chapter 10. He says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What? I, they're not, Israel wasn't saved? No, that's what Paul said. I pray that they might be saved. What they had, but they had the covenants, they had the, they had the law, they had the services, they had the oracles of God. Yet, the Messiah has come and they rejected the very Messiah of whom the law and the prophets and the Psalms foretold. And so they was going about to establish their own righteousness. He said, I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The knowledge of who? Christ Jesus. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So Paul, Paul, he came to that revelation because he was so bent upon the righteousness of the law himself at one time. The reason why he can say, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God because he was just like they are. He's just like they are. He, at that one point in time, he was just like them until his eyes was open to the glorious, awesome, amazing grace of God that's offered now solely based upon his beloved son, Jesus Christ, and what his son fulfilled and accomplished. So it said, Israel, they have the law right. They never measured up. Why? They all have sinned. Paul says, are we better than the Gentiles? He said, no, and no wise. We have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin. They're all held in custody of sin. So they all need a redeemer. 
So Paul says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. To everyone that what? Believeth. Believeth what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're talking about this being a reality. Paul says, but what saith it? The word is near you. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10. But what saith it? The word is near you. Even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. What? We're not preaching the Mosaic law. We're not preaching the righteousness of the law. We're preaching the word of faith. God, Paul said, separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, listen, for the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Shall all ethnicities, shall the Gentiles be blessed. Blessed with what? We're talking about the imputation of the gift of righteousness given to you by virtue of your faith in the gospel. That the heathen don't have to go and become an Israelite or a Jew through circumcision and observation of the uh, Sabbath and observation of the feast days or anything of that nature. Don't have to wear no fringes at all. Any of that. It's all by faith, trusting in Christ. The moment you diminish from trusting Christ, you just now frustrate the grace of God. You've just done away with the sufficiency and the adequacy of the finished redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Paul said, I don't want to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Why? Because this is the message that we are to proclaim and stand on. Now, I'm going to show you something. So it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his, God's workmanship. The word workmanship means God's work of art. God's working on you. We are God's workmanship, work of art, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Did you hear that? Now, he just said, we're saved by God's grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But he goes on and says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ unto. So because you are saved by God's grace, you have become the work of God's hand now. And by virtue of God working on you as his work of art, it results in good works. So because I experienced true biblical salvation centered upon the death, the shed blood, birth, and resurrection, which results in glorifying Christ, is going to result in me doing good works that glorify my Lord, that honor my Lord. The good works don't but it gives an outward working of what was taking place on the inside of my spirit and soul. That's the wonderful grace of God. In fact, one of my uh, favorite passages, I'm going to go there real quick, is in the book of Romans, chapter 3. We're almost finished. Got to close out and look at the time. Wow. Wow, that passed by pretty fast. In fact, let me just show you something. This is so powerful, my brothers and sisters. Paul talks about this amazing grace. Romans, chapter 4, verse 25. The first word is who, referring to Christ, was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. 
Justification is the sovereign judicial act of God, who is the righteous judge of the earth, who must punish wickedness. Now, his wrath was satisfied because the son was delivered for our offenses. We were the offenders. We were the guilty ones and we were to be judged. But now Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And justification is the sovereign judicial act of God whereby up on his wrath being satisfied, justice being meet, meet out, and now upon what Christ done and fulfilled via his death shed blood for us on our behalf. Watch this. Christ was raised again for our justification. So it is the act of what declares you once and for all righteous. It's because of what Christ done. Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So what Christ did was for us. So now we have we are the beneficiaries of what Christ did via his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, therefore is a conjunction. Therefore, in view of the fact that Christ was delivered for our offenses, therefore, in view of the fact that he was raised again for our justification, therefore, being justified by faith. So now you appropriate what Christ done by faith. So you experience now this spiritual justification in God's court of law that now you're no longer under the wrath and judgment of God, and now God treats you perfectly righteous as though you have never sinned because the righteousness of the son has been credited to you and he now has declared you righteous once and for all therefore being justified by faith we have what peace with god through our lord jesus christ so this justification and peace with god only comes through the lord jesus christ but it's all appropriated and or received by faith by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Through whom also we have what? Access. Not only are you justified by faith, and not only do you have peace with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, but by him also you have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Wow. Let's look at verse 8 of Romans chapter 5. But God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice everything for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Not justified by your bloodline, your genealogy, your haplogroup, what tribe you identify uh, as or to be in. Not based upon any of your works and your ability. Therefore, being justified by his blood. See, everything is rested upon Jesus Christ. It's in him and only through him much more than being now justified by his blood. What? He died for sinners, and his blood was shed. So now you receive this justification by what Christ has done. I hope you can see this. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. You have to understand that Paul... Man, this is amazing because there was, he, was, he had thought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And now he's proclaiming justification by the blood of Christ. He didn't always proclaim this, but his eyes got open to the amazing grace of God and the redemptive work of Christ. This is a revelation that he received from God the Father concerning what his son did on the cross for us. 
being now justified by brother, my sisters, you've been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Did you not know you're saved from the wrath of God through Christ? That you've been declared righteous? So you're declared righteous. Now you have peace with God. You cannot come under the wrath of God as a believer in Christ. Now God can and will discipline you, yes, but you're not coming under the wrath and judgment of God. And we'll do with discipline, God's hand of discipline later on. Much more than being now. Oh man, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Wow. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Man, time around. We'll do part two. We definitely do part two on the grace of God. Well, remember that God's word is God's final authority. Is the word of God that you must go by. It's not by me. It's not by anyone else. But the scriptures is the final court of arbitration. Hold fast to the word of God. Look to the biblical Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. Know that you are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. God bless you. The will of God be done. And we'll see you next Monday, live on Final Authority. the love radio network worldwide loveradionetwork.com educational inspirational trending topics and the hottest hits with award-winning talk show host and personality and you made us number one thank you love radio network building a network of love Ambassador Everett Robinson presents Final Authority, Mondays at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, teaching a sound biblical perspective that is solely based upon the authority scripture alone. Final Authority with Ambassador Everett Robinson, Mondays at 9 o'clock p.m. on loveradionetwork.com.